Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Cyber attacks continue to be a major threat to multiple sectors in the United States. In an electronic world, providing pharmacy services and managing patient care during downtime can prove to be incredibly challenging, and organizations may not be adequately prepared for a prolonged event. This is the first in our series on downtime preparedness. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. With me today to share their experiences and expertise are Dr. Colleen Malishok, Clinical Pharmacy Manager at Nebraska Medicine, and my Vizient colleague, Randy Gerwitz, Senior Consulting Director in Pharmacy Solutions. Welcome, both of you. It's good to be here. Thank you, Gretchen. Thanks for having us. Colleen, I know your organization unfortunately experienced one of these attacks in the past few years. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It was a Sunday morning and our emergency response activation pager went off and we all kind of converged upon the hospital and realized that the event was a cybersecurity incident that impacted all of our systems. When we first arrived, everything was down. We had access to email on our phones and I think all the phone lines still worked, but other than that, we couldn't print, we couldn't access the EHR, all of our automated dispensing systems, everything else was down. And slowly over the next 24 hours, system by system, things started coming back. But we didn't have our EHR for eight days and then we're bedside dispensing cart fill system. We have a big robot that does all that packaging and dispensing for us, and that was down for about three weeks. Those were the two biggest systems that were impacted for the longest, and it was pretty painful. That sounds incredibly disruptive. How did you continue to provide patient care in that type of setting? We did a lot of decentralized rounding in terms of clinical care at the bedside, spent a lot of time with the nurses trying to gather patient profile information and keep that as up to date as we possibly could. Dispersed all of our pharmacists to those decentralized units as much as we could and made them floor-based rather than service line-based so they could be that resource to the nurses and physicians at the bedside. And then from a centralized perspective, created a database of all the IV drips and all the oral solution syringes that we had to prepare and answered a lot of phone calls. I think the phone rang nonstop three lines throughout the whole event. We spent a lot of time trying to keep everything in order and keep everybody supported. Randy, you have some experience in this arena. How common is this kind of occurrence? Unfortunately, all too common. Certainly what we've seen from about 2016, 2017 moving forward is healthcare is a very popular target for ransomware attacks in particular, and that generally we see healthcare being listed in the top five when we're looking at various types of industries that are attacked or are commonly attacked. And many years, healthcare is number one or number two. So very pervasive. Colleen, what kind of preparation had your organization done in advance of this intrusion? We had done a tabletop exercise several years before it happened and had gone through the process, I guess, of writing a policy for how we thought we would deal with it and what the steps would be when it happened or if it were to happen. Unfortunately, step one broke down in the policy, but it was a good experience just to even have thought through it previously, even though there were definitely a lot of learnings and a lot of things that we would know how to do differently or have planned for differently now. And what approaches did you find were most effective during and after the event? 
the thing we did the best, at least as far as what our staff has said, is right away at the very start of the attack, we called catering and had them bring in a couple of tables right into the middle of Central Pharmacy and created a command station where one of the members of our leadership team was always available 24-7, set up a schedule to make that happen, and then created Zoom huddles every shift change so that we at least could keep everybody as informed as possible. That was one of the key things that we did well. One of the things that was also key that we implemented as we went along throughout the thing was the creation of our own databases to keep track of data. You know, we knew right away that we needed one for IV drips, but the other ones that kind of came along where the ICU started maintaining patient profiles in electronic files so that they could print things out rather than having to rewrite them every 24 hours. We couldn't end up doing that housewide because it was just too labor intensive by the time we realized that that would be something that we needed. But our plans moving forward are certainly to start that from the very beginning is creation of all these databases so that we can really keep track of what's going on where and what drugs are needed by who. I can appreciate that. What surprised you most about the event? The need to keep track of ADT. There was no good way for the access services folks to keep us informed as they were moving patients, admitting patients, transferring them, discharging them. We really were reliant upon our own database to kind of keep that refreshed and then checked it twice a day with access services. But one of the key things, I guess, is you're reteaching people how to write written orders is the importance of putting a room number on the order so that you know where to send it back to. And we realized that no matter how many times we told them that that was an important key piece of information, that it was the missing piece of information more often than not. And so we relied heavily on that ADT database to make sure we got the drugs to where they needed to go. That's something we take for granted in an electronic system. How did your clinical pharmacy services fare under this intrusion? The things that were the biggest struggle were high alert meds, making sure that we had INRs ordered for people on Coumadin or PTT results for people on heparin or safety checks in place for insulin and how to best manage those. By day three, we had created a database of to try and keep track of so that as patients transferred and a new pharmacist was caring for them, that they had a record of what had gone on previously with those high alert meds throughout the patient's stay. So creating a lot of systems after the fact to make sure that that care continued. Randy, in your observations, how prepared are hospitals or pharmacies for this type of intrusion? Generally, they're not very well prepared, to be honest with you, Gretchen. We're all quite familiar with the CMS requirements related to disaster preparedness and the expectation that organizations can effectively stand on their own for up to 72 hours. Many of our efforts are designed to minimally meet that standard or to address our more common occurrences within the organization, which tend to be very short-term events related to certain system upgrades. When we start to move beyond those two or three days, most organizations really have not considered all of the various components, particularly ancillary systems that may not have well-thought-out and well-structured downtime plans for those systems that have become more and more vital to what we do every day in pharmacy. I believe most organizations still are a little bit in the phase that we might say that folks don't fully understand what they don't know yet, essentially. I can see that as a gap. What's the impact of this type of event on pharmacy staff? Colleen, why don't you start? 
But on the positive side, all of our staff really realized very quickly how relied upon we are by the rest of the organization and how key the service that we provide is to both our nursing and our medical staff and our patients. And so I think everybody took that away a bit as a positive. The other thing I think we recognized sort of in retrospect was we're all very committed to the organization. And there were many, many people that found it difficult to leave and to go home and to sleep and to disconnect and not to be constantly engaged in the process. If heaven forbid we ever have to go through it again, that would be something that we would really focus on is trying to set up a rotating schedule to give people some downtime and some away time and to make people feel okay to be away and that other people have the helm and can take care of what's going on. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable lesson, Colleen. As we think about those downtime or disaster plans, a long-term staffing model is generally not part of that consideration. What we see from cyber attacks over the last few years is that downtimes for many organizations are approaching three weeks. Having a marathon approach to how you're going to staff and refresh your staff is very important. And certainly one needs to be very cognizant of the impact of fatigue on employees and the greater potential for medication errors as fatigue sets in and setting realistic limits and expectations of the staff as to how long they can do even a particular activity before they change and rotate to a different activity is probably important just to avoid some of that stress and mental fatigue that is undoubtedly going to set in. And I do believe that allowing people to accept that it's okay to be away, that taking some time off to refresh, disconnect, and come back and better support your patient population is certainly very important. That's great advice. Colleen, looking back on your experience, what advice do you have for pharmacies and frontline pharmacy staff in order to prepare for such an event should it occur to them? The biggest thing is just to take the time and prepare Even though from our tabletop exercise, we realized really quickly that we had underestimated our needs and maybe planned things out a bit incorrectly. The value of having gone through the exercise and having that in the back of our heads as a rolling monologue as we were going through it helped us to come to solutions faster because we had thought about it in advance and tried to think through all the scenarios some of the things that you don't realize that you need. We're so reliant right now on EHRs. And not only do we have the order sets in there, but we have all the supporting documents, all the algorithms, all the guidelines, and all the additional safety labs that need to be ordered to keep people safe. When you're giving high-risk medications, we had a set of order sets prepared, but we didn't have all those ancillary documents. And so I think it's trying to take time to really think through what are the things that are essential, what are the things that are critical, so that you have a copy of those readily available in case you do happen to lose your EHR or other systems. Randy, anything to add to that? I agree with Colleen. It's taking a critical view of all of your electronic systems and the interplay between those systems to understand if you were to lose them, what is your strategy for continuing to provide that service or can you continue to provide that service as you have in the past that that may not be possible? And realistically, is it something you can do safely? The other thing that Colleen touched on that I think is very important is practice. There's a great difference between competency and proficiency. And in these very strong 
stressful times where you know that any services you provide are going to be provided more slowly in a less efficient manner, the more practice you have will make you a bit more efficient and hopefully make your staff at least a a little bit more proficient at working in systems that they would otherwise not be comfortable with. Colleen, what was it like transitioning to a paper system? I think we were surprised by how many people had never lived in that world. We had to teach our pharmacists first how to write a paper order and what were all the essential elements. And then they spend a lot of time out on the floors teaching the young physicians and young nurses that had never lived in that environment, that proper elements of a paper order. And no matter how often you try to reinforce that, we had a lot of orders that didn't have signatures, that didn't have dates, didn't have times, all of those key elements that once were so ingrained in our culture that have since fallen away. So it was a key skill for sure to try to pass that on to that generation that hasn't lived in that world. I think the next step in that as well, I think most organizations really struggle with is oftentimes on the acute care side, we're really focused on writing a complete and accurate order. But at the same time, our emergency departments, any of our ambulatory settings, and our patients that are being discharged from the hospital, the providers also need to understand how to write an appropriate outpatient prescription because in most situations, that's e-prescribed these days. We we really don't write prescriptions unless it's for things like durable medical equipment. I certainly have heard stories of organizations really struggling with, I send a patient home with all what appear to be appropriate paper prescriptions, only to get the patient show up or call them a couple hours later saying, the pharmacy wouldn't fill these. What do I do? Then needing to proactively reach out to the community pharmacies around the hospital to alert them as to what's going on, that these are legitimate prescriptions. If they're missing information, who to contact, then reaching back to the providers to continually reinforce and re-educate as to what's required for a legal outpatient prescription as well. Definitely something to build into our contingency system. Yes. Well, Colleen and Randy, thank you so much for joining us today to share your insights and expertise. It's been fantastic having you on today. Thanks so much. Yes, thanks for having us. And to our listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.